Welcome to the Houghton Baptist Podcast for April 22nd, 2018. Today, Bill Tucker continues where Pastor Dave left off in the Genesis series. Stick around. Great podcast. Afterwards, check out our website at HoughtonBaptist.org. A lot of information there about the church and things going on in the church. And it's been a while since you've been to church or just not sure about church. Come and check us out. Come as you are. We do. We'd love to have you. Thanks for listening and have a great day. like to uh, thank Pastor Dave for putting this thing back up here today for an old-timer like me. That's kind of what I'm used to. And uh, we were just talking back there a minute ago. That's 30 baptisms. Since, is it the first of the year? Unreal. Unreal. That's, that's awesome. Um, that's, that's very inspiring. And um, young man, I know you don't know me, and hopefully we can cure that. But uh, you will never have made more important decision in your entire life. Let's pray this morning. I remember uh, watching a program many times growing up, and you probably did too, Crystal Cathedral. And he always started it out with, This is the day the Lord has Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, good morning and what a beautiful morning it is. Uh, I would like to mention something a little unrelated, but yet not. Preach Billy had died just a few days before, and we spoke about him just a little bit. And uh, yesterday, Cindy and I had uh, turned out to be a real privilege to spend a little time watching television. And Barbara Bush's funeral was yesterday in Houston. And uh, we all have something in common with Barbara, if you believe in Jesus Christ, and that, that is we know where she's at right now. And men, much of that service was centered just exactly around that truth. And let me emphasize that word, truth, because that is true of her. Uh, regardless of politics, uh, I would just like to pay tribute to her and that family for their service to our nation over the years. And uh, she was one great lady. And the more I thought about her qualities, the more I realized I'm married to one just like her. So... Let's pray again. Almighty God, we do rejoice in the day you've given us. We're so grateful that through the sacrificial death of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we too have the hope of eternity with you. As we study your word this morning, let's prepare our hearts in the next few moments of silence to receive what you have for us. Amen. The title of our message today is The Slippery Slope. Cindy and I um, live most of our married life in the Upper Peninsula, five, the last five years up in this region, and we have come to literally dread the icy conditions and the walkways that we have in winter. Um, like you, we're happy that spring may finally, finally be here. Uh, my 31-year-old or 32-year-old youngest daughter told me one time when she was about seven, as spring came in the UP, Daddy, you know what I like about spring? And I thought I was going to hear flowers and trees and grass. And she said, oh, Daddy, that's the best mud ever. <laughs> Fortunately, she's got some little ones that are just like her. They're in, they're in the mud all the time, and that's That's cool. Look at the beauty of spring. It's the mud. It's the mud. We've got some good mud up here. But anyway, we've, we've come to dread that freeze-thaw cycle this time of year. And, you know, every morning you don't know if it's going to be slippery or safe or whatever. And I just have to ask the question here. Anybody in this room ever fallen on the ice up here? That's darn near unanimous. For the rest of you, you just can't wait. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, but it usually happens real quickly, you know. We don't expect it, even though intellectually we know that, you know, this is, you know this, there's a reason they tell you to be careful. It's slippery out, or they put salt down on the roads. We understand all that, but it still comes as quite a surprise, doesn't it? 
The older I get, the scenario seems to happen in slow motion, okay? Which even just sustains the terror. And see if, see if this sounds familiar. You've got step one, the slip itself. You know, you didn't expect it, it boom, it happens. Step two, that futile attempt to prevent it. You know, that flailing around, and I'm old. Am I awesome to see when I'm flailing around? <laughs> then there's the levitation, where you swear you're up there a minute. Right? Like, oh no, this is going to hurt. This is really going to be a bad one. And you're, you're calculating, all right, which bones are going to go, you know? So, and then, of course, the graceful impact, you know, whoop. And uh, if you're around people, of course, they're concerned right away at stuff. That, that simultaneous uh, feeling of disbelief and the inventory of what broke or what, <laughs> what I hit. And then, worst of all, of course, the embarrassment of being helped up by somebody that's probably you know, uh, older than you and more frail than you, but they're helping you up, right? Then you possibly got that trip to the hospital, and we all love those places, especially us guys. And, of course, nowadays that big, big fear, is this going to be on the Internet in like 30 seconds? Somebody, somebody got me. And it's amazing to me when you watch that stuff how people must just be having their camera when they're out walking the dog, any, just, just waiting for one of those deals to happen. They want to get on there. Well, I guess I could safely say we can all relate to that up here. Um, But we're going to talk about a slippery slope this morning that's far more dangerous than that ice. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4 if you've got your Bibles or nowadays the wonderful little uh, mechanical or uh, technological wizards you got in your hands that do everything for you. Um, I think they're pretty cool. I'm just a little intimidated by them still. And a highlight for one of my daughters was... The day I learned to email, and that was that was a while ago. But and then uh, my first text message was okay, because that's about all I could handle. And I got these big fingers, and this, my phone's got these little tiny buttons. I don't get that. So may Fisher Price create one for me one of these days. So, but let's go ahead and, and I'm going to read it. But we're going to go to chapter four, verses one through sixteen for our text. And we're going to look at a story that we've probably all heard before, and it's not a pleasant one in many ways. Cain and Abel. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, that would be Adam, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, and and Cain was the tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and then it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. We're going to learn something today about uh, both of the brothers and then this obviously very tragic first murder recorded in the history of the human race. Uh, 
earlier in the week, Brandon had contacted me and said, what kind of music can I play for your sermon? I said, well, we're going to do the first murder ever. What's appropriate? Well, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't really have something to hang ourselves on right away. So, but thank, what you did today was fine. I appreciate it. But I, I thought it was good that he asked. And his response was, oh, I kind of like, see what you mean. It's a little, a little tough. <laughs> so anyway, we, we start out with this account of, of the first birth of a child to Adam and Eve. And it says, now the man had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. So after the fall in the garden, Adam and Eve are now going to have a family. Remember, prior to that, that wasn't going to happen. Now you can say, well, is that a good thing, a bad thing? If you're young parents, you're probably doubting that it was real smart. If you're a grandparent, you think it's the best thing ever happened. Uh, we can vouch for that. But she did give birth to Cain. and after, <clears throat> and So they, get, they started their family. And Cain's name uh, in, in Hebrew means to acquire, get, or possess. So his Hebrew name is Cain, but in English you might say it, it's uh, to get or got. You know, so she got Cain. Okay? And she responded to that birth and she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Literally, it's I have gotten a son, comma, the Lord. There are... Bible scholars and Bible commentators, and I read a bunch of them this past 10 days or so, and boy, they are all over the world on this thing, but, it, but it's interesting to see, and they're all smarter than me, so I'm not picking on any of them, I'm just going to share some of the message. There are some that, that uh, look at that literal rendering and then say, you know, she was looking already at the prophecy in, in the previous chapter in Genesis 3, that she would bear the Messiah. She would bear the one that was going to save them all from what had happened in the garden. So Mama has her firstborn, and right away, this has got to be the one, right? This is the one. So she was kind of excited about that. I think it played into what subsequently happened in some later years here. But So she's gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And the only reason that this is possible and perhaps even more likely she understood that prophecy and thinking that of the redemption like oh i know i messed up in the garden and this is a big deal but i can fix it now you know i've got this son so i kind of think that was part of her mindset uh, of course like any small child as they begin to grow a little bit the sinful nature that unfortunately they've now acquired from their parents after that fall begins to manifest itself in the behavior, especially for boys. I know some of you girls are overachievers too, but for boys it gets a little rugged, and I, I, bet, I bet you she began to wonder about that a little bit. So guess what happens? The second son comes along. Now we have Abel. <clears throat> and she, knowing that, that that was a prophecy, and she thought that was the one, well, maybe she had some doubts. I kind of think as time went on, she may have begun to favor the younger one because he was better behaved. And all that. So the je- the jealousy and a little bit of anger on the part of the older sibling, who had not had to share his folks for a long time. Well, you, those of you that have the second child know what I'm talking about here. His trouble begins. Okay. So I think that's that's all backward or, or back in the background. Unlike Cain's name, Abel is not explained by Eve. However, in the Hebrew, the word Abel or Avel is how it would be pronounced in the Hebrew is a word for vanity or breath, and you get the, the uh, understanding here that it, it's about the temporary nature of existence. Uh, you know, maybe that's a foretelling of what was about to happen in, in a short period of time. But it, it's one thing, if you notice in the text there, it mentions brother and Abel seven times uh, in that entire section. And so, you know, the connection is definitely there between the two brothers. It's, it's being emphasized. They had a strong relationship. So Moses is trying to prepare us for what's going to come next. So let's move on to verses 2 through 5. And we're going to talk about now the worship of these brothers. You know, they had been, no doubt, uh, trained somewhat by mom and dad about God, about uh, sin and the consequences of it. They knew it all too well, didn't they? Uh, and so anyway, we're going to talk about their worship. And it goes on to say, And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel's a shepherd, Cain's a farmer. Now both these 
vocations are noble, nothing wrong with one or the other. And much younger years when I read this thing for the first time, actually probably about 40 years ago, the only thing that hit me is that doesn't make sense. Why, you know, what's the deal, God? It seems like you're being very, very arbitrarily unfair. But once you know the background and the history, it begins to make more and more sense. So, but anyway, both of those vocations are noble. There's nothing wrong if you are a tiller of the field and in the farming business, and there's nothing wrong if you were not, if, if uh, you were raising the cattle or the sheep or whatever. So, but at some point, this led to worship on both of the brothers' behalf. And then it says, So it came about that in the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord of fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part also, brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portion. And the Lord regarded Abel for his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. Again, that sounds a little harsh there. They both brought offerings to the Lord, suitable to what they did for a living. Yet God regarded Abel and his offering, and not Cain and his. So now let's figure that out. Why? Now there are some theologians that insist that it had to do that Abel offered a blood sacrifice, obviously in foreshadowing Christ's sacrificial death on behalf of us all. I suspect Brother Don might think that one makes sense back there. Uh, Amen. (laughs) And that may very well be. Uh, However, there does not appear to be anything wrong with what Cain uh, uh, offered the, the product that he offered, the fruit, as opposed to an animal sacrifice. Because later on in, in the history of Israel, we'll see with a lot of the Levitical offerings that grain and harvest offerings were legitimate expressions of youth and God and commends them. So if it wasn't a failure to bring a blood sacrifice, why does God reject Cain and the offering? New Testament authors tell us that God regarded Abel because he had faith. That's in Hebrews while Cain did not. Therefore, it seems clear that Abel was in a relationship with God and Cain was separated from God. A very important principle from that, it's always that God inspects the giver and the heart uh, before he suspects the gift from worship. And that is a critical, critical distinction here, just as it is in my life and in your life. Okay? Otherwise, if your heart isn't right, if you're not, if you're not in a worship, a true worship mode of the one true God, your worship is unacceptable. There's another interesting clue in Genesis that tells us about Cain and Abel and their offering. Moses records that Abel offered what? The firstlings of the flock, okay? And the fat portions. Fat portions mean choicest, best parts, or abundance, Okay? So he gave what cost him the most. He gave her the first, the best. He did so willingly. He gave God what was rightfully his to start with, the best. Cain merely offers, as it says, the fruit. Not the first fruit, the fruit. So while Abel went out of his way to make sure that he offered God the best, and for the right reasons, Cain went the other direction and just merely went through the ritual. He did his duty. He brought some fruit. One of the key themes throughout all the scripture is God seeks worship from us that is perfect, costly, and here's a harsh truth for us all. He won't settle for second best. He will not settle for second best. Motives do matter to God. In fact, I would argue they're the most important thing about what, where you're at is your motives. I uh, studied under a pastor for many years, and he had a little paradigm, he called it, of, of, that explains this very, very well. And it was just re- really simple, four concepts. All right, you can do a wrong thing in a wrong way. You can do a wrong thing in a right way. You can do a right thing in a wrong way. And lastly, and this is the one God's interested in, and it's a lot tougher than you think, you do the right thing in the right way or for the right reasons. That is what's acceptable to God. None of the other three work. 
Um, you can con your friends, your neighbors, even maybe yourself that you're, you're doing the right thing. But if you're doing it for the wrong motivation, it's wrong. Period. It's unacceptable worship. So where are our motives in serving this loving God that saved us? That causes a, a young man, maybe with some embarrassment, I was to, to get before a group of folks and admit that he needs God in his life. That he has believed in Jesus Christ and he wants to be obedient and reflect that by a public act of worship in baptism. And I hope by this time next year we're talking about 60 of them, not 30. We have a part to play in that, okay? <clears throat> anyway, why are we here? What are, what are we doing here? What do we do if we come on a Wednesday night? What are we doing here on a Saturday? Or maybe going to Love, Inc.? Uh, why, are, why are we doing all that, okay? All of them, the purpose of which is noble, and the goals are honorable, and obviously there's a tremendous need in this community, as there are in many. But why, why do we do that? Why do we put what we put into an offering plate when it comes around? Or online. You know, when I was, ten years ago, if you just said something online, I'd have said, what, huh? <laughs> I just wouldn't have got it. But, you know, that's the way it's all going. It's, it seems like it will all be electronic before you know it. But, but why? What was, what was in our heart that motivated us to take whatever action we just took? That is of critical, critical importance of your worship, okay? If your heart isn't right, it's not good worship. It's not usable by God. It's not going to reflect his glory to a lost and fallen world that you find yourselves in every single day. So let's see what the older brother's response was to this. You know, God has said, nope, that's not going to cut it. Well, guess what? He became very angry and his countenance, that's, I love that word, his countenance fell. Uh, this was a P.O.'d guy and not very happy camper, if you want to use some of the common vernacular. Very angry at God. Does that make sense? <laughs> the God of the universe created all of us. Sovereign could crush us instantaneously, and you're going to start arguing and getting, oh, I don't know. But haven't we all done it? Come on. Haven't, haven't we all done it at some point or other? Sure. But he becomes angry with God rather than being concerned about remedying the situation and pleasing God. His anger just took over. And we got, we've got to ask ourselves some questions. Is How do we respond? How do we respond when God just says no to us? Um, you know, something we thought was just, oh, this is, this is what God wants me to do. Um, we, we tend to fall prey in Christianity to a syndrome you know, that I've, I've called, you know, the, the chosen one syndrome. And that is in our zeal to serve our God. And guard, guard against this. Please do this. We, also, we always think of ourselves in any given moment in time, we're the chosen one. God chose me to convey this exciting, wonderful truth. Therefore, everybody else has got to be wrong about this. Therefore, it's just me. Me and God, we're on it. Okay. That is about as dangerous a thing that can happen in any church in America. There's not just one person anywhere that God has chosen to be the only conveyor of truth. So it's important to have a filter, but if you come in with your filter and you're doing it for the right reasons, I'm convinced the Holy Spirit will reveal truth to you and kind of make the less truthful obscure to you. And that's a critical component of your worship. We're filled with the Spirit. That's why we spent a few moments in silence to give you an opportunity to do that if you hadn't already done so this morning. So anyway, he gets mad. His countenance fell. He, he's really ticked. Well, guess what? When God convicts us and deals with the sin in our lives, we do the same thing. Do, I mean, do we seek to make it right? We ought to. Do we come before the Lord in worship and confession with a humble and contrite heart? Again, are our motives pure about saying, yeah, I messed up, God? Or do we pout and get angry? Isaiah said, probably at best in Scripture, in, in Isaiah 66 too, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. When you're in that situation, if you want to get God's attention, there it is right there. I will look to him, he says, who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. You know, do you have trouble with your anger occasionally? I have. 
I was quite good at it. Um, took some hard, hard events in life to convince me that I needed to do something about it. I thought I was entitled to it. Because they did this, or that group did that, or this politician said whatever. I, I was so self-righteous. I thought I was entitled to my anger. And what a fool, and what a bunch of mistakes it cost me. Once uh, a bunch of harmed relationships it cost me. And thank God my wife stuck with me through all of that. I, I love her for that, as, as well as many other things. But, but in customary fashion, you know, the Lord is always trying to offer us grace and mercy. I, I, you know, let's put yourself out on the, on, the car, on the roads of our fine area here, and maybe the traffic's busy and some guy's cutting you off left and right. And I mean, your first reaction is the road rage thing. You know, you want to flip them off. You want to take something out of your trunk and bust his window or, or whatever. Or, you know, and today that's scary. You don't know what people are going to do and how they're going to respond. So you're better off letting it go. But is that where you go right away? Did it ever occur to you to show some grace and mercy? Well, guess what? God goes to that right off the bat. Right off the bat, he gives us a way to avoid this inevitable slide down that slippery slope. He's, he's got his hand out ready to grab us right away if we don't let our pride and stupidity and our testosterone, if you will, stop us from recognizing it and taking advantage of that right away. Get squared away right away. Uh, as, as our pastor for many years said, keep your accounts short. When you mess up or screw up, get it to the, God, get it to the Lord of this universe right away. First John 1 John 1.9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And all means there's something in there somewhere that fits you. Okay, I could sit here for hours and tell you about mine. Some of it might be uh, appalling. Some of it might be funny. But it was all sinful. But He forgave it. And He could do so because of that sacrifice on that cross. And uh, the more I get to know about God, what a genius. What a genius to plan this. And he did it for you, and you, and you, and me, and, uh, and all those folks out there that don't know, that you come in contact with every day. So anyway, now he's angry. His countenance has dropped. He's not really, uh, even though the implication that he knew better, he knew what was right, he's not trying to, trying to be uh, uh, in any way contrite, or honest with himself. Very difficult thing to do sometimes. But again, this verse shows God's grace for Cain because he was still invited to bring the correct offering. And he warned Cain, and he, and he wanted to tell Cain, do well, do well. Do what my will is for your life. Do well, do good. As we had in one of the songs. And Cain was just hardened. You know, and sin is like that. It's a wild animal ready to pounce and devour us if you just give it an inch. It's ready to pounce on us. And we have this graphic picture that God paints for us that, you know, indeed we do have a choice in the matter when sin presents itself. We've got a choice. All of us have weaknesses and strengths in that regard. If we've got a strength in a certain area where that particular sin isn't our deal, we will judge others. Who's, that's their deal. Well, I don't do that. Oh, yeah? Well, guess what? You do this. And we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. You're covered. You're, you're in that group, I'm telling you. You know, so. And unfortunately, instead of heeding God's warning like many of us, he ignored the words and allowed himself to be mastered by his sin, that anger that he held towards his brother, maybe at his parents. It had festered so much so that now we're going to get to the bad, bad deal here. So, so Moses writes in, in verse 8, Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. In his anger, he took the life of another human being. And it was premeditated. You know, the, why did you think he walked him out there in that field? Didn't want people to see. Didn't want anybody to notice. As if God wasn't going to know. Are we, that, are we all that dense about this? That I can do some secret sin that you all won't know about, but he, he's going to miss it? 
He doesn't sleep, I'm telling you. He, he, he knows. And you know what? Most people that know you know. You think you're so clever. People know. People know. In his anger, Cain had taken this life. He had risen up. And, and that's kind of ironic that he rose up to slay or knock down a brother. But he rose up in his anger to knock down. Um, and that's a direct consequence of ultimately the fall in the garden. Then the sinful nature playing out in this particular crime uh, against humanity. And then if you go further on in the chapter 4, you'll see how it began to affect the entire culture and human race as time went on. One little sin of anger. Righteous anger. I'm entitled to that. They wronged me. In this case, my little brother's better looking than me. Mom likes him best. I didn't have a brother like that because mom liked me best. But I had, I had a baby sister that was like that. <laughs> and I love her today, and we laugh about this all the time. But my, and to my dad, my little sister couldn't do anything wrong. And you can check this with my other siblings. They'll, they'll, they'll go along with this. But she couldn't do anything wrong. And God love her. I love her to death. But yeah, she, and she knows it. She knows it. So, <laughs> and that's just how it is sometimes. But I never wanted to kill her. You know, maybe, maybe maim a couple times. <laughs> So there were some times I didn't make things easy for her, but uh, yeah, I had those thoughts. Mentally, I'd kill her. I mean, might as well just tell the truth up here. You know, as a man thinks, so he is. If if you've thought it, you might how God looks at it. So, so anyway, I was there before, uh, but that falling, you know, that little slippery slope, you know, that you end up on the bottom and wondering what happened. You know, like slipping on the ice out here. Terrible thing, and it doesn't have to happen. That's the clue. Because we all would say such an act like, I killed my brother. I th- a whole ball of us could say, I could never do something like that. But you know, if we are honest, many of us have, with our attitudes, killed many other people in time. Um, if I decided to preach for two more hours, some of it would be pointed at me, I'm sure. But we don't have to go there. <coughs> Anyway, as we learn from that murder of Abel, anger and jealousy is very destructive. It's not Abel's fault that Cain's sacrifice was not pleasing to God, but he sure paid a price for it. Cain directs his anger, jealousy, and hatred towards his brother in this deed of killing him. And the history of all crime today will show us that given the opportunity, <coughs> excuse me, hatred will often lead to something just like that. I think I'm not much different than most of the older folks in this room right now, that we think things like this have gotten far worse. <clears throat> Excuse me. Maybe, maybe it's just because it's on you know, social media and in our face every day, but I still think this has gotten worse. Life seems to have been cheapened way beyond what it was when we were kids. So it's not that big of a stretch to contemplate somebody in this room. Maybe statistically it's two of us. They're going to kill somebody in our life. I don't know. I hope it's not me. You know, you may be angry today. You may have walked in the door angry. That wouldn't surprise me at all. could be something as simple as if you're a young person, maybe mom or dad had to say no about something yesterday or maybe this morning or could have had to do with eating too much cereal with too many bad things in it. Uh, I know about that. I have a granddaughter that was recently caught. She got busted. She took the opportunity at the age of two to quietly disappear after they got home from church one Sunday. Her name's Eden. Interesting. Anyway, my daughter thought my son-in-law had her. My son-in-law thought my daughter had her, and it occurred to them all of a sudden, where is she? They live on a busy street, so panic starts to set in. And down there in Arkansas, there's no snow, hardly ever. Well, that's tough. My kids actually ask us to send them pictures of snow. Can you believe that? Anyway, they look and look, and guess where they found her? Under the dining room table, tucked in by that spindle in the chairs, with a box of Fruit Loops. <laughs> and she was going for it, just getting it all in, because she knew when they caught her, they were going to take the Fruit Loops away, and she probably wasn't getting it. And I, and I understand they got something healthier now. So now, now, since she learned to get out of her crib, she terrorizes them at night. She just gets up and does, you know, it's my, it's my time. <laughs> so, uh, gosh, that's cool. 
But see, that's how early it starts. That, that sinful behavior starts so early. And, and we often look at our children, especially if it's your first child, oh, they're special and they're innocent and they're beautiful. And all that's true except the innocent part. And they can't help it because they inherited that you know, since the fall. We all get that. Uh, it's a disease that can't be overcome unless you believe in Jesus Christ. So, but anyway, uh, we don't have to let this happen. You know, we don't have to let our anger, um, our discouragement, uh, you know, our disappointment maybe. Maybe you get passed over for a job. Does that make you angry? Yeah, it's happened to me a couple times. Of course they were wrong, but, but guess what? Even if that's true, and, and I'm willing to admit at this point in my life, maybe it wasn't true. But even if it was true, God knew this was going to happen. And God used it for my benefit, for sure, as I look back. The pieces make more sense when you get to look back at them than when you're trying to sort them out while you're in the middle of them. So I can speak to that. But if you don't deal with the root cause of this anger and these problems, much of which you would not understand, probably as a result of something happened when you were real small, and at some point you said, you know what, this, this deal is not a good deal for me. You may not even understand the concepts of justice and mercy and all that, but you know this isn't right, this doesn't feel right. And you make the agreement in your soul, I'm not going to get in this situation again. I'll make sure nobody can hurt me like this again. And you begin to defend yourself in your own flesh because you know no other way with defense mechanisms that will cause you to be miserable the rest of your life. You might survive, but that's all you're going to do not truly live and live in the freedom that God has given us to live in. Because if you've believed in Jesus Christ this morning, you are free. You may not think you are. You may, like my friend Otis on Andy Griffith, lock yourself up on Friday night. Uh, but you're free. And, you know, the bail was paid, the debt's paid, you are free. And boy, when you, maybe five minutes a day live from that, that's, that's crazy good. But we've got to understand and believe that. We've got to put it in our hearts. That's, that's where it's got to get. You know, Abel found much, much greater favor probably with parents as well as, as with God for his proper attitude, not his outward appearance. And you can understand Cain maybe getting a little miffed thinking, you know, this was my deal. I was, I was the number one. But to then question the creator of the universe, why things haven't turned out the way I wanted, you know, how immature and foolish is that? How immature and foolish? And, you know, the older you get, you want to grow up. You do. Part of me never wants to. When I'm on my grandkids, all bets are off. But, um, but yeah, you want, to, you want to be the example because that, that's who they're learning stuff from. They're watching you. If you don't think so, say one bad word once and see what happens around a bunch of little kids. You'll hear it for the next month and a half. And your daughter will say to you, Dad. You know, so. My father was in the Marine Corps uh, for almost eight years and was joined in 1938. Timing's everything. Ended up in the Second World War in Guadalcanal. Got blown up. Uh, learned a lot of very interesting marine vocabulary words as a gunnery sergeant, and he was not afraid to teach us to me and my siblings when we were small. We heard a lot of it. Uh, and I don't want to give you the wrong impression. My dad was a very honorable man, but that was one area the, where the Marines got him. And, you know, it's kind of once a Marine, always Marine. And we might have a few in this room, and they know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, if you, if you think those young people aren't watching what you do, and listening to how you speak and how you handle yourself when the pressure's on, uh, you're kidding yourself. They are watching, and they are going to learn from you. So 15 years later, when that kid's turned into the ultimate terrorist, you don't have to look far for the reason. It wasn't the culture. It wasn't, yeah, that helped. But if you do your job right at home, it's going to work out. I promise you that. I promise you that. And it's not easy. It's not it's a thankless task for you parents, especially if you have teenagers right now praying for you. Uh, but it is worth it. Cindy and I, for about eight years, went down south. We went for the food and cuisine and sweet tea. Uh, actually, we went to serve the Lord, and he used us some, as it turns out. 
And we worked with teenage girls, uh, what, 17 of them before it was over? Uh, didn't have them all at once, had about six to eight at any given time over a period of this eight years. Youngest one was about 11 or 12 when she came, and they could stay through their 18th year or the end of the school year when they turned 18 because we had our own school. We saw the damage that had happened to them as, as young people, and perhaps far worse than most of us, but I bet you there's some in this room today that have had just as, just as bad. And we saw their need for the Savior. We saw how they had clung to these survival tactics they figured out when they were maybe three, four years old and held on to them so tight. It was like taking a kid's favorite security blanket away to try to get them to look at anything any other way. After eight years, we, we were burned out and left that. Some very, very emotionally difficult job. And anybody that's uh, worked with those kind of kids or have them in their home, God bless you. Don't give up. Count very small things as victories. All that's important. But we left there burnt out, and, and frankly, I think Cindy might have had a, a little better attitude than I, and maybe not. I said, what did we just do for eight years? We just wasted eight years. We didn't get anything done. These kids are just as messed up as when we first came in, and we're now we're messed up for having heard all this stuff that we didn't think was even possible. And uh, we get up here. Of course, these, these girls are older now. They're in their 20s. Um, and they begin to um, get in communication with Cindy through Facebook, or most of them. I think we've heard from all but one or two, or she has, and then she shares with me. And, you know, you still wonder. Uh, some of them were, were doing things in a better way, had kind of bought into that there's another way to live than the way they had chosen to, to respond to their abuses and the families they came from. And then, you know, they were honest enough when they messed up, they'd tell us, and of course your heart would sink like, oh, there went all that progress. But uh, a couple months ago, we got a, a message from one of our girls, and a girl's young woman, um, and she wants me to walk her down the aisle next month. And I'm going to do it with big tears in my eyes, I can assure you. So, were we anything special? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think every day proved that to us in that ministry. But God used us. And at least one of them kids said, you know what, they're on to something. They're on to something. If you're here today and you go to Tech or Finlandia or wherever, you have a ton of folks in your periphery that don't know these truths. You're going to have this world all to yourself in short order. My generation will pass like every generation passes. And you're going to be in charge. And so the responsibility more, uh, more quickly than you think will be yours. So learn, learn this manual well. There's pretty awesome stuff in here. And if it's electronic, so be it. But this book is pretty awesome. There's nothing in there that won't help you with life. Learn it. Learn it well. Live it, because that's more important than learning it, or just as important as learning it. So here's Cain, foolishly angry at God, questioning God, saying something as dumb as, am I my brother's keeper? You know, is it my day to watch him? Yes, it is. Every day, it's your day to watch him. You know, to stand there and, and, and just blatantly lie when he's been nailed, you know, um, crazy. And so God then follows up and asks him some questions. First one, what have you done? Now, right away, that implies God's given him an opportunity to fess up to this deal, and let's, you know, let's get it out here on the open. And, you know, he plays dumb, and you know, no, you, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, and that's the same question, if you remember, that he asked Eve after the fall in the garden. What have you done? You know? Then he stops and he says this. He says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And the key phrase there, crying to me, to me. This sin is against God. Yeah, it was against Abel, but it's, it's personal to God that we have done something as crass and as cruel as to take another human life like this. The blood of the victim cries out to God. Sin cannot be covered up from God. Again, it can be hidden from people but not to, from God. What we might think is secret here on earth and nobody knows this stuff, it's an open scandal in heaven. It's on all the TV shows up there. So, can you imagine that your 
grandma, the one you love so much, is looking at your stuff right now? Does that make you cringe? It ought to. makes me cringe. And my grandma thought I could do no wrong. God love her. She knew better. I know that now. So. And so what does he do? He, he, he says to Cain, because of this deliberate sin and then refusal to accept God's grace for a, a way to deal with it, he punishes him, and our God will do that. He is a God of love, mercy, and justice. Don't forget justice. It's part of the mix, just as much as the other attributes of God. Difference being his justice has always been perfect, where our, our systems of justice at best are imperfect. Uh, some of you know that firsthand. So. But anyway, he's, he tells him, you're cursed. You're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your blood as blood from your hand. When you now cultivate the ground, in other words, when you continue to farm, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. So God has now cursed him. And if God directly cursed any of us, I would suspect that would be a big, big deal to us. Um, and, you know, we were cursed pretty much unfairly because we inherited it from our, our ultimate first set of parents. Except that God took care of the curse at the cross. He has offered us the way. So, so Cain says to God, he responds. Now, he's, he's messed up. He knows he's busted. Uh, questions God. And then he says, my punishment is too big. Please, God, it's too big. What do you mean? I've got to pay a price for this. You know, and the, and the most uh, dreadful punishment of all of this didn't turn out to be that he was going to not succeed in life with his profession. That Not that he would carry the guilt, although he would, of what he had done. Not even this mark of Cain that we're going to hear about shortly. It was that separation from God that Cain chose. You know, he chose what a gambler our God is and risk taker to give us free will to choose not to accept his love. Is that crazy? Uh, and some of us have and some of us will. And some of you tragically will leave here today in that situation. So now Cain is cast out. He's running around the countryside without really finding a home, preoccupied totally with himself. And now he's worried about his relatives turning on him and others because he was the one that killed. But again, God's mercy precedes his judgment. And you must know that no matter what you've done, his mercy will always precede the judgment. He will offer you a way of escape, as the, the New Testament says. So God said, now wait a minute, no, you know, quit whining about this. Uh, I'm going to put a mark on you that everybody knows who you are, and I will give them sevenfold punishment if they ever, ever lay a finger on you. Now, we don't know what the mark was. There's all kinds of commentators that say about a million different things about it, but it was definitely something that would distinguish him to the average person, okay? One of the rabbis that wrote about this even thought that it wasn't a mark on him but that it was this dog he had to take around with him both to scare people away from him but the dog would constantly remind him of the murder of his brother so that's that's kind of crazy but i mean these theologians do stuff like that don't ever trust theologians too far but to that end god put a mark on cain before him expels him to protect him from that possible recrimination because he wants Cain to feel the full weight of what he has done. And then we read the sad words of this whole thing, that the ending verse that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now we're, we're left with wondering, because it doesn't really clarify this, uh, it infers it later in the New Testament. You know, did, did he ever repent of this? Um... Most of the New Testament references to this would probably imply the negative because you have in Jude 11, it says the way of Cain, which is referring to a sinful way. First um, John 3.12, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. His life was contrasted with Abel and Matthew. So there's a contrast again between good and bad and evil and good, etc. 
And he may have responded to God. We don't know for sure, because he certainly wasn't beyond God's grace. Um, But I will tell you this, neither are you, and neither am I. None of us are beyond God's gracious hand. Let's pray. Father, before this day is out, we will all face our slippery slopes. You have given your children the means to resist and avoid the falls. Further, you offer us your grace and mercy when we do fall. May we use a portion of each day to use our minds and hearts to grow our relationship with you. If you're here today and you don't know God through Jesus Christ, you are without hope and eternal life. You can and should change that right now. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Houghton Baptist Podcast. We appreciate your support. And speaking of support, there's a lot of different ways you can support Houghton Baptist in addition to the traditional way of giving your tithe or check at church. We have online giving on our website at HoughtonBaptist.org, and we also have text giving. If you're interested in text giving, just dial 906-346-1317 and follow the information from there. Easy peasy. If you're looking for a church or you're just not sure what church is all about, why don't you stop by Houghton Baptist Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Be there. Come as you are. We do. Have a great day.